Hi there, and welcome to the Everyday Entrepreneur Podcast, where I, Caitlin Fritz, help you reach your entrepreneurial potential. Together, we can build your dream social impact business so that you can leave a legacy beyond your nine to five. Hello, hello, and welcome to this episode of Everyday Entrepreneurship. My name is Caitlin Fritz, and I am your host. I'm an award-winning entrepreneur, business coach, and enterprise educator who's worked with over 650 founders from cities like Durham, England, all the way to Durham, the United States, and everywhere in between. So today I am thrilled to be sharing with you an interview I had with Dr. Yumna Muhammad. I have gotten to get to know uh, Yumna Muhammad by supporting her to develop her most recent competition pitch um, for Naifazi. And I cannot tell you how amazing Yumna is. She has a pedigree like no other. She has her PhD, has been recognized by the Royal Society of Engineers, but she's also embarked as a solo entrepreneur for her business, Naifazi. And at Naifazi, she developed the Deluxe Detangler, which allows individuals with textured hair to apply conditioner and detangle it with ease. So no more tears, no more tangles. Yumna wants to empower women everywhere to embrace their natural hair by making hair care so much easier. So in today's episode, we're going to be speaking to Yumna about her journey from taking this more traditional path of being an academic, a woman in industry, to venturing out and building her own business. She's going to be sharing with us the steps she made as someone entering the beauty and fast-moving goods space. But in this conversation, we dig deeper than that. We actually peel back the layers of what it is like to be a woman in business, to be a female entrepreneur of color, and also how to build a business that aligns with your character, your goals, and your authenticity, and not just building a business towards the the status quo. So I'm really excited for you to get to know her. She's absolutely incredible. And here we go. So welcome, Yumna. I'm so lucky to call you a a friend now for a couple of months. (laughs) I should be the one who says I'm lucky. Lovely to be here, Caitlin. Thank you so much for this opportunity. Thank you so much. (laughs) No, I am thrilled to talk a little bit about like your journey, how you went from polymer physics and the world of PhDs to now conquering the textured hair business. So let's start out, let's rewind it back a little bit. So you started your path as an engineer and a PhD, right? Yeah, 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 totally, totally. It's funny how you don't plan what's going to happen, but... (laughs) I think I, it's funny, the PhD wasn't planned either. 
the PhD wasn't planned either. It was one of those, I finished my master's in 2008 when the recession, there was a recession and I was new to the UK and I did not know the process to actually get a graduate job. So I found myself in September, like with no job, I'm like, I gotta do something. So, <laughs> so there were PhD available and that's literally how I applied. So academia was not really like a calling, it was just something I stumbled on. Uh, and I've always kind of like was wondering, okay, is it industry or academia, industry or academia? And as I, I missed that window to get jobs, I was just like, I went for academia. But it was, um, but then after a while, like during, there was like a, a need to do something that was much more hands-on something because my PhD, Caitlin, um, for literally three years of my life, four years of my life, I studied a process called spin coating. Okay. <laughs> Skin coating, you know, the way that those who know what are CDs, the last layer of a CD, the protective layer of a CD is applied using spin coating. So you put this disc on this high spinning plate and then you drop a solution of polymer and the centrifugal forces get it to, to kind of like, you know, uh, spread over the surface, the solvent evaporate. I study for four years, how does that layer things as a function of time and doing met mathematical modeling? So after that, I needed something hands-on. <laughs> <laughs> so we went from like very theoretical. Obviously, exactly. we all know you're brilliant. Um, if you can just fall into a PhD. <laughs> so then what happened? I mean, three, four years later, what what kind of crossed your path that, you know, you're going to make this more hands-on? Yeah, I, I think... It was just first the, the desire to have something that more hands-on because I'm quite an intuitive person that learned quite intuitively. And I just, although I enjoyed the project, I just wanted something different. And, um, and so literally what I did, I just started doing this simple thing of finding, okay, what are my interests? What are my core skills? And who needs me? Who will need this type of skills? And then I just started going to conferences on... I found this field called printed electronics. Ooh. So it's a field where people use a typical printing technique like flexography, inkjet, screen printing, but actually they use inks that have electrical property to do things like solar panel, sensor. And I was just like, okay, polymer, this thing, this is hands-on. They will need somebody who to make inks because sometimes you have to develop inks and stuff like that. And I just like printed electronic is where I'm going and I start going to 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 um to conferences and I got really lucky somebody dropped off of a presentation I got to present and that's how I missed my my future employer at the conference <laughs> you know what I love this like there's this there's this theme of serendipity in your life where mm -hmm. things just line up it happens when they have to happen <laughs> so I know you've been very successful I mean you've been in the I think it's the Royal Academy of Engineers correct Yes, yes. And and you've had this path in industry. So then what what was that like gnawing urge to pursue something like Nafazi? Yeah, um, it's a story. It's something that happened during my PhD. You know, like the final year of a PhD always get financially tough. Mm -hmm. And it's like, either you find a job, I decided to not get a job. I decided to actually become a living nanny. And so the final year of, of my PhD, I moved into this house, this, this beautiful girl called Hazel Ann. And, um, and I, my, my hair was quite thick. I used to wear my hair out at that time. 
And then she looked at me the first time she see me, she said, Auntie, I don't like your hair. And I was like, okay. Wow. <laughs> and I was like, I didn't ask your point of view to start with. <laughs> but then second, my hair and your hair are identical. If you can't like you can't love mine if you love yours if you don't love mine. But then when I moved in, and then there were so many different little two other things that kept on happening. Every morning, every morning, she'll be crying. She'll say, mommy, mommy, I want my hair to be straight. I want my hair to be straight. And I was just like, took me a whole year. I was just like, what's up the hair straight and ponytail? The straight hair, I could understand. Because unfortunately, like being a young black girl with Afro-textured hair, she doesn't see herself being represented. But the ponytail, Caitlin, I was like, what's up with the ponytail? I don't know. Maybe that's like... <laughs> I don't know. I think that's an Ariana Grande moment. I feel like that's the only one who does the ponytail. That's exactly it. So one day I dropped her in school and then I decided to go to the ladies before going and I enter. And it was like five girls in a queue doing each other's hair. And they all had their hair straight and in a ponytail. And I was like, oh my God, poor baby. She just can't be part of this bonding process that her friends are going through. And I was just like, oh, that's so sad that she doesn't like her hair because of that. And then the other thing is every Sunday, it will be like the tears again to want to have the hair straight. But this time is the pain of the detangling. And I was like, you know what? I can't change the fact that she 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 is just going to evolve in a world where she might not see her very often herself in other people or in spaces. But if I could change that experience, that would be fantastic. So that will happen. And it just left me with a desire in my heart. I just like, I would love to change that. That's literally what happened. Fast forward, <laughs> four years later, I'm working surprisingly in the field of printing and coating. I get paid to apply things to like uh, inks, to layers of, you know, glass, layers of aluminum and stuff like that. And at the beginning, I love my job. I used to have a hashtag that used to frustrate all of my friends on Facebook. It was hashtag, I love my job every Monday because it was, it was being creative. I was going to the lab, but we timed the pressure of writing papers, the pressure mm. of writing grants. And I was like, I'm not, I'm not keen on all of that. I want to do the fun stuff in the lab. And then I just realized that academia was not going to be for me. And so one day, Caitlin, I just sat down and said, like, okay, what's next? Now you have this PhD. You give nine years of your life to this specific thing. What are you going to do? And I just like start having coming with ideas like, what is it that I could do that will make me happy? And, and then I realized that I get paid to solve problems. Mm -hmm. So why not solve problems that matters to me? And that's exactly. literally how it starts it. <laughs> <laughs> that's literally how it started so the royal academy of virginia came later because i started developing the idea just you know bringing a couple of women the first time i did i brought 20 women together and then had this ugly 3d printed and i just asked him like would you buy this and then like testing it it was so ugly i wish i had one to show it to you and then i was really surprised because the 20 women were just like you make it we buy it and then that was like stressful because now you're just like, okay, I cannot mess this one up. <laughs> you, got, you got something good on your hands. So, exactly. <laughs> so explain a little bit how Nafazi works because it's not like a tangle teaser. It is not a normal yeah. brush. Like how did you use those engineering skills 
to even make that first 3D printed prototype? Literally, you know, like, so after Hazelan's stories, there was something that my mom used to do when I was a kid. So to detangle my hair, my mom would dip the comb in water and then detangle. And so the fact that she's dipping the comb in the water, the lubrication on those tangles make it less painful. You know, or some other moms will spray water on the hair before detangling. So the principle was just like lubricating to make detangling easy. And I just like, ah, okay. Once again, I spent my day applying, applying inks to different structures. And I mean, to printed electronic, applying things to surfaces, applying conditioner to hair, applying product to hair. That's literally how I made the analogy. And then, um, you know, the, the printing techniques are, I loved printing industry. Just so, I don't know, you can, you can keep on looking at the same ink being like uh, applying or printing the same thing, but every single time it will be different. Mm -hmm. And I just loved it. So the process of printing, you know, like there is things like uh, rotary, rotary screen printing, you know, flexography, all of those things kind of like came in form, the mechanism of how it works. So the way it works, you open it. And then you put your your conditioner or your hair care product inside. There is a there is a roller, and the hair get engaged as you detangle. When the hair get in contact with the roller, that roller starts rotating, and very much like a flexography roll or very much like a ball pen or like a ball deodorant, it's rotate and apply what is in the reservoir to the hair. So it's that simple. So on the top of just what you really get. You're getting localized lubrication with like conditioner or like a haircut product on those tangles. And the magic is that you just make it less painful because you're actually lubricating at the same time as you're detangling. So that's why it's so different to other products on the market. I love that. And one thing we've talked about behind closed doors is it's not just for African hair. It's for all textured hair, which is a huge market. I mean, yeah. I think, what, what was your statistic? up to 75% of the worldwide woman population. It's, it's, a, it's, it was a great coincidence. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I remember my hair was incredibly naughty with like Italian curls yeah. growing up and oh, wow. been, been there kind of done that. So yeah. you had these 20 women, you had your prototype. What made you kind of go down the IP route? Cause I know your product, you have patents is yeah. this the engineer in you? Is this something you done from a strategic angle? Tell me more. I think is both the engineering because working as, as an academic, I had come across uh, two patents, uh, two part two, two innovation that we patented the two of them. But although I, I also look to another big brand um, that is called Tangle Teaser, they're doing amazing stuff into, into this field. And the CEO had a really nice interview on the IOP website speaking about the importance of an IP and a patent. And I think what the way I see it, for me, it's a strategic point because once you have an IP about something, that IP allows you to innovate and exploit that IP into different field, different application, and so on and so forth. So although lots of the people I meet to my journey were saying like, just go to market, don't worry about the IP. I'm like, no, the IP becomes extremely valuable, especially if you manage to set a really strong brand, mm -hmm. because then you're relying on people know the brand, they know that you're doing quality or they love you for X, Y, Z. But then now you have this IP 
and then you're locking the specific mechanism that you use, people cannot use that mechanism to actually do the same thing that you do and you have the trust. So that's allow you to innovate and to keep innovating. So reading, using my background as a scientist with with a couple of uh, uh, experiences into being part of Patton, and then reading the article about the CEO, the founder, the, the founder of Tangled Caesar, I was like, this is definitely the right way to go. And although it's a huge chunk of funds at the beginning, because it's it's cost it's lots of cheap. money, it's not cheap. But I think later on it becomes extremely valuable in many different ways. Yeah. So that's, I think, yeah, is is a middle of the two both. I love that. I think also just seeing what Tangle Teaser, I mean, just seeing what people two, three steps ahead of you have done or are yeah. doing. Yeah. That is a huge little nugget of gold right there. So you've got your patents. Yeah. Now, how did you start building the Nafazi brand? Because I don't know if anyone else listening knows this, but Yumna has been a sole founder for all four <laughs> years, I believe. Yes, indeed. Yes. So yes. how are you doing this all by yourself, growing that presence? I'm pretty sure your product has been featured on TV and with celebrity yeah. stylists. So how did you do it all? <laughs> <laughs> I have to say it was very fortunate um, because it's come from a place that is so honest that everything has flowed from, from there. So what, regarding the brand, I had had to go through a process. When I had the idea, when I had the idea of the Deluxe Tangler, I was going to that rough phase where like, a, I don't want to be an academic, what else? And loads of, there was like a concoction of things happening in my life that led me to be quite in a dark space. But I had this idea and I knew it was a good idea and I couldn't move myself to do it. Eventually I decided to embark on a journey to find confidence yeah yeah and then in there i went like from one thing to another from motivational stoke you know and on and although i felt so energized every single time i was like yes today i'm gonna go out and do this actually my mindset wasn't changed so the behavior wasn't changing then the next thing i was like okay you have to do affirmation you know that thing of putting yourself in the mirror you now you're clever you now you're beautiful you now you're this and then one two times just like ah this thing I'm speaking them, but I'm not feeling them. There is nothing that actually resonates with my heart. The next thing I thought seeing a counselor, I was like, okay, we're going deep. We need to go deeper. Go see a counselor. No shame. I go no see shame. the counselor. I was like, I was like, whatever it is, I am unlocking this potential. I thought seeing a counselor. And although it was a great space to start putting words into what I was feeling, in that space I felt very much disempowered. Because the rhetoric for me, at least, was always like, oh, but you know, it's normal if you're like this, because this and this happened. And so I just went through this phase, was just like, okay, I'm going to challenge myself to do things that I'm scared of doing. Mm -hmm. And one of them was actually running a dance class. So I, <laughs> I, started, I started teaching this dance class. And then the, in the studio, they asked me to go to do a flash mob. And I was like, yeah, I'm on, in this business of doing things that scares me that I want to do. Like, Why yes, not? Yes, I'm here. I found myself like doing a flash mob on the Welsh Senate on International Women's Day. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> Funnily enough, Caitlin, I didn't even ask where I'm going. Where is this flash mob happening? 
but then the event was imp the women in that event were like just oh my god i decided to take my day and just sit there and learn and the last speaker was a life coach and when I heard her speak, I was just like, oh, my God, that is exactly what I need in my life right now. So it took me some time to convince myself to pay the fee. It was lots of money. Mm -hmm. But then in that space, I really got to understand so much to start with the stuff that was holding me back to start a business that were a lot personal more than anything else we can go into detail in 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 that later if you want but we're speaking about the brand but because in that space of coaching even before starting the business even before having the first prototype my coach is a fantastic human being that just kept on asking me but why 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 this idea why this business why this and then the why took a long time to come but it eventually came by First one day, one of the session, I got to realize what was my life purpose. That everything that I was doing, I was, that was really bringing me joy, had to do with empowering young individual. Mm -hmm. It was like being part of Athena Swan in the university. Like, um, like I used to have a group outside of the university, so being for for black students, the dance class, everything has to do with seeing people being more confident in who they are. And when I got to understand that that's what the Deluxe Templar was going to do. But that was the aim of the brand, bringing people's confidence, like Hazeland, loving her hair, loving taking care of it, enjoying caring for it, just because it was going to be easier. That just kind of like built this fire in me that I was just like, this is more than a detangling tool. It's really giving back to people the love of something that is not always there because of the pain that is associated with it. And then going slightly further, and I just like, Yumna, You've been, by then I had been coaching. I've been seeing my life coach for literally two years nonstop. And I was like, by the time you had this idea, you were a PhD, you're working and everything looks good from outside, but from inside, you are a mess. And I'm like, and this is, <laughs> and like the whole thing of like what you achieve outside is really nothing if you can't find inner peace. And I was like, coaching costs so much money, but so many people actually, do need it because the one thing that stopped me from actually taking that step was the finances but eventually I decided you know money have to be put in places where the money keeps on multiplying itself and the, mm -hmm. the best thing is new and I was just like I want to keep on doing this thing of empowering by donating five percent of the profit to coach young individual because you know it doesn't matter what you achieve if there is no inner peace there is no joy there is no purpose there is no happiness so I think Funnily enough, that struggle at the beginning of not knowing, not finding my motivation and having to be put in a space where I was always asked, but why came to feed the brand in a very natural way? Because the why is just so clear. So there is no mismatch in anywhere you 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 see the continuation is there because it is a true, it's it's really true to the heart of the of of myself as a founder and the idea itself and the idea the story of his land so that's how pretty much the brand kind of kind of uh was born so in a very authentic and natural way i will say oh i love that and the way you're saying this you're absolutely glowing like i think it's always been bigger than just hair with you i think from our yeah. first conversation you're like i'm empowering women and young girls and I, I love how your story 
kind of threads through that. Like, I think you mentioned you had your own blockers. Like, how did you, you're portraying, you know, you have this resume of all of these accomplishments. You've, You've done amazing things. How did you get through these blockers, especially when your business is all about confidence? Yeah. You know, what what steps did you take? Because I feel like that's where a lot of solopreneurs, business owners, it's getting past those mental and like emotional blockers okay. that really, you know, can prevent you from reaching your business success or like you mentioned, your own personal potential. Yeah, I, I think that's a really interesting question. And I think the answer is is really getting to know who you are, mm. because really, what the space of the of coaching offered me is be in a space where I cut the noise, I cut everything, and just reflect and and wonder. Okay, the choices I have made, have I made them for the right reason? Because sometimes we just we are not even aware of the drivers. We are not aware of our intentions. We are not aware of so many different stuff. So that space really got me to let go of the stuff that was taining me, I will say. And one of them that I first speak was, it's quite a deep one, but I'm so glad I let go. I needed to let go, Caitlin, especially as a minority, a woman of color. Mm -hmm. And what I call is, I call it the trauma of racism. Mm. because I'm from a very, very small island in the Indian Ocean between Madagascar and Mozambique called Mayotte. And then in, I moved to France when I was eight years old. And then by the, at that time, I was so happy. I was just like, oh my God, I'm going to France. This is home. I'm going to France. And I arrived to France and like, not everybody agreed that it was home for me. So mm. how do you build yourself as a young person at that top of age when you feel rejected from a society? And so what I didn't know at that time is the way I managed to survive was to throw my frustration and lots of this rejection into my education. Mm. I was like, oh, you, you think I'm not going to succeed? Do you think I'm not going to I'm going to show you. Like a Black girl, like from Muslim background, from the poor areas, from the poorest department of France, can do something with her life. But then it became like I was not striving towards a purpose. I was striving to prove myself. Right. And so... You were meant to, you will definitely take the wrong path because you're not doing things in a way that is in alignment who you truly are. And so by the time I, I I think I got that PhD and I was working, my drive has started dying because my drive was always coming from the want of proving to others. But what do you have to prove? I'm at this thing like now you almost arrive at what society believes that is such a high peak. So it's like my motivation, my natural drive was just like gone. And it's like, I needed something to feed, another frustration to feed that drive. <laughs> but that's like where you get that the frustration or the anger or whatever it is, it consumes you. And so in that space, I was able to really realize like, oh my God, you know, you need to strive towards a purpose and not towards proving to other people. And the other thing that I say, I'm so glad I got to discover into that space and it's so super healthy is that all of those experiences, what I call the trauma of racism, had had led to a belief that I won't be supported. I won't be celebrated because of my identity. And that was, I could see it in my professional life, that it was coming through in different ways because 
then I had this relationship with authority. I was just like, oh, you think? Same thing that I used to think of this thing, or you think I can succeed. And I used to have that attitude with my line manager, you know, where things like sponsorship have, is so important to climb the ladder. And I was just like, but you now, how have you seen any organization that anybody climb without the support of the line manager? No, it doesn't happen. So it's like almost like you're jeopardizing your own progress in life because you think you have to fight everything. And so when I got to understand that, I made the choice and I made the choice to heal let go of that past, which is a reality, but I don't want to live according to that. But the other thing is I made the choice to decide what I bring with me. So now I decided like, you know, before I will be worried about going into a different spaces because like, oh, will I be accepted? Will I be seen for who I am? Now I, I enter, I'm just like, I'm cool. I know who I am. I know what I bring to the table. I know that I've inherently for the simple fact of being a human being, I have value and they're going to love me because I'm a lovely human being. I go. And if ever something happened that I am discriminated, then I react. But I refuse to carry the emotional load of like, oh, my God, this is what's going to happen to me because, you know, I'm a, I'm a, I'm a black woman or because I'm and then enter into that space. And somehow it's funny because the coaching space allowed me to do that with different aspects of my identity. I did it within my race. I did it within my gender. Because one thing I did not know is as a woman, I thought I, I was struggling a lot and I saw it again as, a, as, a, as a, an academic where I was struggling with my leadership style because I thought I can't lead. I don't, I'm not, I'm not strong enough. I don't, you know, I'm not the type of person who hits on the table, but I got to realize the reason why I used to think that is because I thought that to lead, you had to be a man or you have nice. to have mainly characteristic. And that was related to my childhood, actually, the fact that I didn't have the same voice. I wasn't being heard the way my younger brothers, my brothers were being heard in my family structure. So I was like diminishing my femininity like erasing almost trying to this huge part of me <laughs> to fit this idea and when i was able to do that with my race my gender and different aspects of my being then you let go of identity becomes more identity becomes about who you are as your character and not the external thing and then you see yourself you can transcend every spaces because as you look at your character, what you love, your value, you will always find people that will have the same value. People will share your interests. And that makes it easier to actually move more smoothly in your journey as an entrepreneur, as, as especially as you say, as a woman of color and all of those different things. So I am so glad I had the struggle at the beginning because it forced me to do that work. And that became like, I became lighter in, okay. in a sense. Do you see what I mean? Does Absolutely. it make sense? And I think every every moment you kind of bring that baggage in, it affects yeah. the energy in the room. It affects the energy in your business. It affects the energy in every yeah. investor meeting. You don't, even if it's subconscious, but just having that clarity of yeah. light and character. Obviously, it took some work to get there because I know what it's like to kind of climb the wrong ladder where you're like, oh, yeah. I'm doing this. This is great. I'm proving it to everyone else. Yeah but you're the one who has to go to bed with you at night. So, you know, <laughs> if you're not happy and if you are lying there awake asking, yes. what am I doing? Doing. 
and who am I doing it for? Exactly. If it's a checkbox, you're probably not living, like you mentioned, in your character. Yeah, 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 yeah. And it consumes so, a lot. It, it does. And, and so, I mean, I know you've been very active in this space, but what advice would you give other women entrepreneurs, other women of color entrepreneurs, minority entrepreneurs, having been through this experience? Um, I would say invest in yourself. I think we forget to 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 we forget that when you're building a business, you 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 as the founder has a vision. It doesn't mean that you you're a leader. That's what you do. Yeah. It doesn't mean that you have to do everything by yourself. And oh God, I can't wait to have a team. <laughs> <laughs> but you need to have a vision. But that vision, the clarity of that vision. It will be, it will be more or less clearer if you don't take time to actually wonder yourself about why why you specifically pursuing this specific business. So I think we we are as important, especially at the beginning. At the time you're a corporation, things are different, and the most important thing is to maintain what was set there. But when you're getting started, you are as important as the business because the business is through you. Exactly. You are the one who is bringing your value. You're almost creating an ecosystem. And I think that is one of the things that we lots of entrepreneurs love. We are creating a space that, you know, like uh, it's going to be like this and then it's going to be an open space. And then you just have this idea of things that you're going to bring. But if you're not clear about your vision, because sometimes you're not even clear about yourself or what's ac actually your own motivation, then you'll miss opportunity in the definition of that space or into that vision. So I think start with, let's start on a strong foundation because things that comes, there is waves that things that can come and actually consume you. And you're going to have to make choices about what you're getting involved in, what you don't get involved in and stuff like that. So when you have that sturdiness and we are never perfect, we only try to get better. But when you do a little bit of it, it comes and make things easy for yourself as an individual, the choices that you're doing for the business, but then for the business itself about, you know, even to who do I do business with? Exactly. Because that's an important, do you see what I mean? That's an important question. So I say start with yourself because first you're going to need it. You're going to need it. And because I say, once you know, this journey is rough, like this journey is rough and, uh, and for, the last two years who have been working full-time raising without relying on my parents to just eat my brothers to have a roof over my head you're gonna have to make some serious choices so once you're really clear about what why you do it that will be like your north when you know how then the how will fit into place more naturally but know why you're doing it who you are and why you're doing it and it will just it doesn't mean that the journey is going to be easy, but it's just going to become slightly more bearable. <laughs> and if you were going to talk to anyone kind of starting out in the beauty space or even in this kind of fast moving consumer good product space, what advice would you tell them? Oh, especially in that, in that space, communicate, speak to people, especially your, your customers. Yeah. Um, and because it will pay off in many different ways. So one of the things that I really, I think 
it was kind of like interesting because as scientists, we don't really develop things working with the end user in, in mind, yeah? We just develop things. And then we try to see if there is an application. <laughs> but what what's, has happened for the specific development of this product, I involved the women since day one. Like it was not necessarily on social media, but it was my friends, or do you think this will bring value? Like, you know, simple question like that. And then that will just enable you to gauge the interest. But then even in the product development, because I, for example, I had two different mechanisms in mind. I brought them to the table and I told them, okay, try the two and which one do you like and why do you like it? But so they tell me which one they like and I focus on that one, but then they told me all of this different thing I needed to change. So I, I feel quite confident about the quality of the product because it was not, I really wanted to make sure that it was not just me because I'm a woman with textured hair. I was like, okay, everything is going to be based on me. If I like it, they're going to like it because you, that's not true. <laughs> so it's that thing of making sure if you're doing a consumer good uh, business, it's such um, a good space to be because you can engage with people from the beginning. And and even in the brand, you know, you, you because true women's story in this case, you know what you want to offer them because all I had has a line narrative, but all of the other narrative, like the story really touched me was the story of a mom. She said she never wanted to straighten her daughter's hair, but because for her, it was so hard seeing her daughter cry every single weekend that she felt like she was hurting her daughter. So she'd rather do a chemical relaxer, which actually is harming her daughter with chemical. Yeah rather than actually doing her hair. And so you get to understand what are the emotion, what to, what emotion people relate to that specific thing that you're trying to change by. And so collecting not just the experiences of what they're, how they're using your product, but the story, the emotion that they connect, then you know, as when it's come to your brand, you want to go at the opposite of the emotion that they connect. All of the different things, of course, in an, in an authentic way where the story started, but you, it come and feed in so much of the decision that you take as a brand because now it's about the experience, changing that specific experience and having all of this story tells you what is it, the current experience and what is it that we're going to offer to them. So I'll say, speak to your people. <laughs> oh, I love that. I love that. And where can people find Nafazi? Like where can people find you, connect with you if they want to learn more? So find me on LinkedIn, LinkedIn, Yumna Muhammad, Dr. Yumna Muhammad. Find us on lots of exciting things happening very soon. Find us on social media, on Facebook, on Twitter, um, and uh, and uh, on Instagram. Simple Naifasi. We are constant in in every single uh, platform so find us there and then stay tuned because there is exciting news coming soon <laughs> amazing thank you so much yumna and i will be sure to share all those links in the show notes guys so Fantastic. until next time yumna thank you so much for this amazing conversation thank you caitlin so much for the opportunity thank you now if that interview does not leave you inspired i don't know what will yumna shared with us her insights of really moving past those mental mindset and personal roadblocks that we put on ourselves as entrepreneurs to really build a business that is authentic to her true self, her mission, and also her purpose to empower 
women and girls across the world. If you want to find out more about Naifazi, you have to check them out on their website, which is in the show notes, as well as their social media. And of course, please follow Yumna on LinkedIn. What she's posting is genuine content that is sure to inspire. I hope you enjoyed this episode. And until next time, this is Everyday Entrepreneurship. Give us a review, follow, or download wherever you enjoy your podcasts. Thanks again. Thank you for joining me for this episode of Everyday Entrepreneurship. To stay tuned and most up to date, subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. You can follow me, Caitlin Fritz, on Instagram. And if you have any questions about building your business with impact, drop me an email with the link in the show notes. This podcast is produced by the great people at the Podcast Boutique. I look forward to catching up with you next week. See you then.